let's get going on another edition of Midday from the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to the Thursday edition, where we are going to be filling in all of the gaps and in information, no matter what it is, news, weather, the sports, the ag, the markets, we've got it all for you. Moving ahead here on a Thursday. And we're going to surprise, go right on up to surprise, where we'll find Susan Littlefield with our ag headlines today. Well, good morning, everybody. A busy couple of days still in store for our farm team. And if you have a chance to actually visit a ranch, well, you're going to get the opportunity coming up at 1219 because the National Cattlemen's has a 360-degree virtual reality farm videos, uh, ranch videos to showcase U.S. beef production. So Alex is going to check more into that coming up at 1219. At 1245, Clay continues his series as he talks about the importance of exports clear down to the Main Street level of rural Nebraska. And then coming up at uh, 117, Ted McKinney has been on a trade mission. Uh, Shaley Peters catches up with him to find out what the trade mission is all about. All right, very good. And as we move closer to sports here, you had a little bit of a sports uh, story that you were filling us in on that's very touching. Tell us about that. It is really cool. Um, I have switched who I'm going to cheer for. I'm going to cheer for Mississippi State now. There is a young gentleman who drove up from Florida to surprise his dad, early Father's Day gift, um, and is driving him from Mississippi to Omaha to see Mississippi State play in the College World Series. Yeah. So and Dad's got Alzheimer's, uh, the early onset stages of it, so making some lasting memories. And that's pretty cool. Isn't that what the whole College World Series is about anyways? I think it is. Guy apparently a, a player for Mississippi State back in the day, so it's all a very back good Back in the day. Yeah, thanks very yeah, much. very much Susan. so. Jason Jorgensen has the sports for us. And Mississippi State will be one of the teams in action tomorrow night as they will take on Washington as the CWS, I should say tomorrow night uh, on Saturdays, the CWS will uh, get underway. Also, we'll talk some Nebraska High School Finals Rodeo. That big event is taking place in Hastings. Of course, you have a big statewide rodeo. Of course, you need 100-degree heat. Yeah, you do. <laughs> for an event like that, so hopefully <laughs> the that... The dust just isn't the same <laughs> without 100-degree heat. That's true, Dirk. That is so true. Also, a Husker Athletic Director, Bill Moose, filled a couple of positions this week. Mark Hankins has been hired as a men's golf coach, and Sean McMee is the new men's tennis coach. We'll tell you more about them. And the U.S. Open has started up at Shinnecock Hills. A lot of folks were excited about the threesome of Phil Mickelson, Roy McIlroy, and Jordan Spieth, but so far at the turn, those three combined uh, were 15 over. <laughs> So uh, not such a great day in New York for those three. But, of course, there's time to turn things around. And Tiger Woods is in this tournament for the first time since 2015. That's that's a lot of over par to make up, though, uh, in the yeah. first round. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, here comes Bob Rogan with some business news. Well, stocks are a little bit higher after a retail sales report. Folks are kind of uh, cheering and kind of wound up about that. Retail sales growth was experienced in May. That's one of the things that's uh, driving the market right now. Also um, in the news, a South Dakota, the South Dakota High Court has dismissed an appeal against the Keystone XL, XL and just about uh, everybody is, is interested in the Keystone pipeline and yeah. its future. Also, uh, mortgage rates took a little bit of a of a jump this week after a couple weeks of declines. Those are some of the stories that are making headlines right All now. All this and more is coming your way today on Midday. 
Leroy's Hall in Paul Perkins here. <laughs> we get an information, a little information about what's going on with our ag weather, and this time it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. We're looking at about seven, eight states here, and we're seeing that the hot point in the state of uh, all these states is right here, close to home. Yeah, exactly. Hebron at 93 right now, 93 also on the temperature in Salina. Most of us in Nebraska in the mid to upper 80s, but those Low 90s over southeast Nebraska into central and east Kansas. Getting toasty already. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're not looking forward to it. And uh, the thing about it is this heat also comes with the uh, wind to make it seem a lot like the Sahara. Exactly. Yeah, kind of like uh, some people have told me, like a, a blow dryer blowing on you right now. <laughs> really? Because yep. yeah, exactly. today we're looking at south winds up to about 20 to 35 miles per hour. Really going to add to the drying effect of this heat. So uh, definitely a hot and dry situation for the next several days. All right. Well, I guess we that begs the question, how hot is it? Well, we're looking at some temperatures that could get close to that century mark. If you're looking for some rain, first off, want to touch on some heavy rain amounts have been falling over central and northwest Iowa. They've had three to six inches of rain from Des Moines and points to the northwest. Even some flooding of roads and fields there near Pocahontas, Iowa, which is in the northwest part of Iowa. But some areas about three to six inches of rain. Still some flood warnings in effect from uh, north of Des Moines up near to the uh, Fort Dodge area there. But otherwise hot and dry in our area. Was Once again, most of us with temperatures in the mid to upper 80s, those low 90s from York and Hebron and Beatrice on into central and east Kansas. Big Ridge of high pressure, the culprit on this. It's anchored over the southern plains. That will build north today through Saturday and lead to the sunny, hot, and mainly dry weather. Also, those increasing winds out of the south as low pressure strengthens off towards our west. Near record warm lows are possible tonight. With the wind at night, you don't see much of a drop-off in the temperatures, and that could get us down near record warm levels, especially in central Nebraska. Tomorrow, will be slightly cooler towards the west, central, west, and north part of Nebraska, and also northeast Colorado, thanks to a cold front sagging southeast. By tomorrow night, that front could be a focal point for some scattered thunderstorm development. Temperatures to begin to cool off somewhat on Sunday as that high-pressure ridge starts to move towards the east. Thunderstorms, some of them severe, are possible by Sunday night as the cold front slowly tracks to the east. No guarantee of a big soaker on this system for Sunday into Tuesday, but the potential is there for at least some spotty and decent rain. Just hopefully we'll get lucky in the right spots, or maybe everybody will get lucky in getting some good rains out of that. And we're going to need it after this hot and dry weather. Pockets of heavy rain are possible, especially between Sunday night and Monday night. Daytime highs early next week for the early half of it, actually cooling to near and below normal levels. That cool down won't last long. Nebraska and Kansas, for the most part, going to be warmer than normal Tuesday through June 27th. Our precipitation outlook starts out with above normal rainfall in the middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas, but late next week through the 27th, near normal rainfall is the forecast. For the time being, an improvement in the latest drought monitor, 83% of Nebraska drought-free. It remains still abnormally dry to a moderate drought along and southeast of a line from Fremont to York and Alma. The two-percentage-point improvement came in Red Willow County that is now drought-free. There was a five-percentage-point improvement in Kansas, the northwest and north-central, from Phillipsburg to Hayes and points to the west in the extreme east part of Kansas are drought-free. Most of Kansas abnormally dry to a moderate drought. South of I-70 in the central and east central and the southwest are severe to extreme droughts still. There are now 
No areas in the highest stage of exceptional drought, so an improvement on that too. Weather factors affecting the market include hotter weather for the Midwest and a close watch on possible rain from Tropical Storm Bud. It will turn hot in the Midwest at the end of the weekend of the weekend. That heat likely continues into early next week. Favorable levels of soil moisture will diminish somewhat. The upside, though, is that the long-range forecast indicates chances for rain and moderating temperatures 10 days out. Northern Plains crop areas will continue to see mostly favorable weather for development of spring wheat, corn, and soybeans. That's thanks to timely rain and mild temperatures over the next week. Across the Southern Plains, very hot and mostly dry weather will maintain high stress on developing summer crops but favor the mature wheat and the harvest of wheat. Rain may increase in the next few days and somewhat ease that crop stress. West Texas crop areas that have been very dry may see a better chance for rain with remnants of tropical storm bud and a push to the east of a high-pressure ridge that's currently anchored over the southern plains. Good for harvesting wheat, what wheat there is. I exactly, guess. yeah, because yeah. uh, unfortunately expecting losses down there in yeah, Kansas. Quite a bit. All right. And your regional ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Well, it looks like we, uh, we're going to get a taste of it, but the nice thing about this forecast is it doesn't hook in and stay all that long. Yeah, uh, probably three to four days here all the way through Sunday, and then some nice relief early next week and potentially some good rain chances on the way. Okay, well, that's good. And it looks like the blow dryer is on low <laughs> setting right now, so with only 12-mile-an-hour winds. But that's going to change, so be prepared for it. And uh, I, I don't know. I guess in the winter we tell you to take, uh, you know, put on your parka. I, I don't know how many clothes you dare take off <laughs> with what we've got going on. Drink here. plenty of water, that's for sure today. That is a good point. Yep. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. China warns U.S. trade deal is off if tariff hike goes ahead. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at our ag news on a Thursday. China's government renewed its threat today to scrap deals with Washington aimed at defusing a sprawling trade dispute as the White House prepared to release a list of Chinese goods targeted for tariff hikes. President Donald Trump has threatened to raise tariffs on up to $150 billion of Chinese goods in response to complaints about Beijing's trade surplus and technology policy. As part of that, the White House is due to issue a list on Friday of $50 billion of Chinese goods targeted for a 25% tariff. Beijing has promised to buy more American soybeans, natural gas, and other exports, but warned after June 3rd talks between U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and China's top economic official, Vice Premier Lai He, that all deals were off if Trump's threatened tariffs went ahead. We made clear that if the U.S. rolls out trade sanction, including the imposition of tariffs, all outcomes reached by the two sides in terms of trade and economy will not come into effect, said a foreign ministry spokesman. I just want to repeat this point today. And Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley was the only member of the Senate Agriculture Committee to vote against the Farm Bill during Wednesday's markup session. Grassley aired out two concerns to the committee that led to his vote against the otherwise bipartisan bill. Grassley sought stronger payment limits to farmers in the bill, an idea he has long supported. During a speech earlier this week, Grassley stated, I do not believe in unlimited subsidies, mentioning those included in the House bill. Grassley says the farm programs should provide temporary, limited assistance and later announced intention to offer an amendment on the Senate floor to include payment limits. 
During the markup session Wednesday, Grassley also said he had concerns with language in the bill regarding the cultivation of hemp that is supported by Senate Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. Grassley believes that McConnell's bill should go through the Judiciary Committee of which Grassley chairs. McConnell says he worked with the Justice Department and the Food and Drug Administration when crafting the language of the bill. Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, a Republican from Kansas, said he hopes the bill will come up next week. Senate Agriculture Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from Michigan, joked that the floor action will take only one hour. Roberts pointed out that the 2014 Farm Bill took only two days to pass. And Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt will make a stop in Lincoln, Nebraska today to meet with Governor Pete Ricketts and members of the Common Sense Nebraska Coalition. The roundtable discussion will be focused on waters of the U.S. Pruitt traveled to Kansas on Tuesday and South Dakota yesterday to discuss changes to the renewable fuel standard. In his visit to Kansas, Pruitt mentioned he plans to send EPA's new WOTUS rule to the Office of Management and Budget this week. Some agriculture producers and associations were upset when Pruitt visited their respective states. East Kansas Agri-Energy President and CEO Bill Proct expressed concern with EPA's proposal to attach RINs to export gallons of ethanol, stating that it would result in extreme economic hardship for Kansas corn growers. In South Dakota on Wednesday, Pruitt was met by a group of corn farmers protesting against Pruitt's lack of action to allow E15 sales. That's a check of your midday ag news for a Thursday. Of course, for more ag news, audio and video, as well as updated market information anytime, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Well, good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Alex Wojcicki, and I'm joined on the phone today by Elisa Harrison, Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Research for National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And we're here today, Elisa, to discuss virtual reality ranch tours showcased at the Food and Wine Classic. So, Elisa, first off, what is the Food and Wine Classic? Well, the Food and Wine Classic is a gathering in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, a lot of major chefs, a lot of celebrity chefs, a lot of food bloggers, and a lot of the top food media across the country. So they gather in Aspen every year to look at what's new, what's trending in um, recipes and in food. And we looked at it as a great opportunity to talk to them about beef and about the people behind beef. And this is really a big cornerstone of the relaunch of the Beef It's What's for Dinner brand that we are conducting on behalf of the Beef Checkoff. So the Beef It's What's for Dinner brand then launched these virtual reality ranch tours. Tell us about those. Right. So a big part of the new brand relaunch, you know, the, the Beef It's What's for Dinner is about 25 years old. And what consumers are telling us today is that they want to know who's producing their food and where their food is coming from. So a big part of the brand relaunch is to showcase the people behind beef production. And we are very successful about taking reporters and food writers and a whole host of influencers out to ranches every day, but not everyone can get out to a ranch. So we're using some new technology that allows us to create a virtual tour of a cow-calf operation, of a feedlot, 
for people to really get a, a bird's eye view and a 360 view of beef production in the United States. We want to be completely transparent about how we produce beef in the U.S., but more importantly, really introduce them to the families, the men and women that are out there on farms and ranches every day producing beef. What do you think is the biggest takeaway for people looking at these virtual tours? Well, I think what they tell us most is that they are like, wow, you're not hiding anything from me, because it really is a 360 using the the virtual reality goggles. You are able to look around, and, and because of the technology is used, it's just like you were on a ranch, that you can turn around, you can look up, you can look down, you can see everything. And that's probably the biggest takeaway is that people are like, wow, you're not just showing me what you want to show me, you're letting me control the technology and letting me look at what I want to look at. So it's really that transparency, that authenticity that people are very welcoming of and they really appreciate the fact that we're trying to be transparent. And as you mentioned before, you're highlighting three operations and those range from cow-calf all the way to feedlot. Is that correct? They do. It's, you know, we've, we've got a cow-calf operation in Iowa. We have a cow-calf operation that operates in both Oregon and Idaho and really features some of the challenges of operating on public lands and then a feedlot in Washington State. Well, Elisa, while I've got you on the phone, is there any other information you'd like to share? Well, I really encourage people to check out the new BeefIt'sWhatsForDinner.com. This is a a new website that really is a one-stop shopping for consumers, for retailers, for food service operators, but also for farmers and ranchers because it's a great resource for people who are looking for recipes, for information that they can share with people who are asking them questions about beef production. Well, thank you so much for that information. Again, that was Elisa Harrison, Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Research for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Yet it's time to check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, nearly 150 high school rodeo competitors are competing in 12 events at this week's Nebraska High School Rodeo Finals in Hastings. Nate Allen, who's the vice chairman for the event, says those who qualified really deserve this chance. You know, these competitors have have been competing all this last academic year through high school to compete to get to this point. And And we bring the top 30 up to the top 30 in each event. Naturally, in some events, there might be 31 or 32 just because of ties. A competition started up this morning. The top four competitors in each event at the state level will earn a berth to the National High School Rodeo Finals, which is set for next month in Wyoming. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose has made a couple of new hires for the athletic department. Mark Hankins has been hired as a men's golf coach and Sean Miami as the new men's tennis coach. The NCAA Division I Council passed a proposal yesterday that will allow players to participate in any four games in a season and still use that as a redshirt year. The change, not retroactive, takes effect this upcoming season. It will allow a player now to actually play four and a third years of their collegiate career. Nebraska baseball's Jake Hoensey has been named a second-team All-American by the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. He led the team and was 18th in the country with 13 saves this past year. Speaking of pitching, strikeout numbers are the highest on record in college baseball with the College World Series set to begin later on this week. The 297 Division I teams have combined to average almost eight strikeouts per inning this season. 
That's the highest figures in NCAA records dating back to 1970. Pitching staff for 41 teams, including CW participants, North Carolina, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, average at least 9 Ks per innings. That's up from 16 teams a year ago and from just one in 2012. The U.S. Open has started on a century-old golf course with a new look. The fairways at Shinnecock Hills are 15 yards wider on average than they were for the 2004 U.S. Open. Phil Mickelson, Roy McIlroy, and Jordan Spieth were already falling behind as, as those three really struggled over the course of the first nine holes. And former Creighton men's basketball coach Dana Altman and former player Kyle Korver will each be inducted into the Creighton Athletics Hall of Fame. Those ceremonies are set for later on this summer. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Sunny and hot today with a high near 99. Also breezy with south winds at 15 to 25. Got a little blast furnace there. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low of around 71. And then for Friday, sunny and hot with a high near 96. From the KRVN Newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. Even when the outside temperatures are only 70 degrees, the inside of a parked car can heat up to 120 degrees within 15 minutes. And that's with windows open. Average of 37 young lives are lost each year from being left unattended in a vehicle. Former NTSB Chair Mark Rosenker says heat stroke deaths are avoidable if parents and caregivers are vigilant. Remember, a child's body can heat up three to five times faster than that of an adult. So during this hot summer season, parents and caregivers never, ever leave your child alone in a car, even for a minute. Many cases involve kids being left in a car by mistake, and most victims are under two years of age. A new report shows Nebraska lawmakers have begun job licensing reform, including enacting a comprehensive reform this year with Legislative Bill 299, the Occupational Board Reform Act. The Platt Institute's Sarah Curry helped assemble a review of what happened during the 2018 session and what's ahead as lawmakers prepare to implement a five-year review of all of Nebraska's job licensing laws. Create a uh, process in the legislature where all of the occupational licenses in the state of Nebraska will be reviewed over a five-year process with 20% being reviewed each and every year. And that way the ad hoc uh, review that has been taking place over the past couple of years in Nebraska will be able to be more streamlined and comprehensive in nature. And In 2018, bills addressing licensure issues were enacted into law for title examiners, school bus drivers, county highways, and city street superintendents, public adjusters, psychologists, emergency medical technicians, even animal massage therapists. Roadway infrastructure may be a campaign issue this year in the gubernatorial race. Josh Moaning with Four Lanes for Nebraska talks about it. We have fairly well a system of fairly well-maintained roads, but our connections are not great, especially when you look in comparison to neighboring states, just basic four-lane connections between some of our major communities and, and connecting those communities to the interstate system. So our focus has been finishing what's called the Nebraska Expressway System, which was created decades ago in the late 80s under Governor Kaor, uh, enacted into law uh, a program of uh, 600 miles of four-lane highways uh, that were supposed to be constructed altogether by 2003. Great program. Um, the only problem is it never got done. 
Moaning is the executive director of Four Lanes for Nebraska. Gubernatorial candidate Bob Christ brought up the issue in a speech last week in Kearney. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. The day is here. It is time for the International Trade Town Hall in Lexington, Nebraska, put on by the Council for Economic Development of Dawson County. International trade a world away, yet very close to home. This week we've broken down grains and how their ag exports affect uh, the Dawson County economy, talking to producer Scott McFeeders. Then we talked to Craig Uden, former NCBA national president and Nebraska beef producer, right home based in Dawson County. Now let's bring it all together with one of the greatest ag economists of our time. That's Jay Rempe with Farm Bureau. And Jay, thanks for joining us today. As we get started here, let's look at the broader aspect here, more statewide. What is the total ag export impact for Nebraska? It, any way you look at it, Clay, it, it's pretty huge for the, for the state of Nebraska. We, uh, the USDA estimated in 2016 that we exported $6.6 billion of uh, commodity goods, from ag goods from the state of Nebraska. That was fifth largest in the nation. And uh, when you look at the number of jobs that that creates, the USDA estimates that uh, for every billion dollars of ag sales and exports, that creates roughly 3,700 jobs. And so if you use that as your barometer, it's about 25,000 jobs in the state of Nebraska that are tied directly back to, to ag exports. And uh, obviously our, our, our biggest commodities that, that we're relying on for for uh, exports is beef, corn, and, and soybeans, and uh, th- those are our powerhouses, if you will, in, in terms of the ag exports from the state of Nebraska. Jay, you've been following ag exports from Nebraska for a long time. Is there a way to quantify this data at the county level and possibly look at the uh, ag exports impact directly on Dawson County? Sure, you bet. That, that was one of our things that uh, we've been trying to do here recently, Clay, is, is try to pull these uh, figures together to provide a more meaningful number for folks in local communities. And so earlier this year, we released uh, a report that we called Nebraska Agriculture and International Trade. And we did break it down by county. And to no one's surprised that I always consider Dawson County as kind of one of the ag powerhouses in the, in the state of Nebraska. And that shows up on trade as well. We estimated, based on the commodity production and beef production in, in Dawson County, that the export value in 2016 was uh, $118 million for Dawson County. So that was seventh highest in the state of, of, of Nebraska. And then when you look at the big three commodities that I mentioned earlier, on the beef side, it was uh, just over $40 million. Corn, it was around $42 million. And then on soybeans, about $27 million. So... Uh, Exports and, and agriculture exports in particular are, are a big item for Dawson County. Jay, we're throwing around a lot of big numbers here, but can you take us clear down to the producers' portions of these big numbers? Oh, definitely. I think one of the things that all producers can relate to, and even those outside of agriculture, is if you look at what I'll call the per unit value or the price uh, related back to, to an item or a commodity. And so we tried to do that in the way of trade. And uh, what we did is we took production in the state of Nebraska and just simply uh, divided it into the uh, export value for that particular commodity. And so on corn, uh, 2016, our exports were worth a dollar three per bushel 
for cattle, it was uh, over $169 per head. And then on soybeans, it was uh, $6.27 per bushel. So I, I think if, if you look at the current commodity prices and you think about these values that I just shared with you, you can see that uh, even at the producer level, the exports uh, from Nebraska are significant share of, of that value that the, the producer is getting back. And then we also looked a little bit at, we just tried to look at what it meant per farm in each county. And for Dawson County, it was nearly $147,000 that trade in 2016 meant in returns back to an uh, individual farm in, in cash receipts. It's great to see that the producers are being able to capture a portion of this export money, and then it's great, too, because they return that back to the local economy. Jay, what is the effect on Main Street from these exports? When you look at the state of Nebraska, the USDA estimates that uh, like 60% of our counties are what they consider farming and ranching dependent. And so when, when you have an industry like agriculture that's, that's so reliant on, on trade, our exports or value are worth about a third of the cash receipts the state receives. So when you have so many counties that are reliant on, on farming and ranching, it's, it's definitely an impact on local communities that their economies rely on that trade just as well. And then final question, Jay, so that we end here on a high note. When when you as an economist look out across Nebraska and look at these counties, what is the future here for uh, potential new export business and new ag export business? I think if if we can get out of our own way, Clay, sometimes in terms of some of these trade disputes and everything, uh, the tremendous future for Nebraska agriculture, we have a lot of advantages in terms of our, our natural resources. We're located in the central part of the state, so we can go a lot of different ways with our commodities. And when you look overseas at the economic growth that's occurring, and especially the middle class in Asia, and they're going to demand higher value products like beef and pork, and Nebraska is just so well positioned to be able to provide that. I think the future is, is fairly bright. Uh, again, if we can work through some of these trade disputes and some of these tensions that we have now, I think in, in the long run uh, we'll have a good, good run in the export markets. That is Jay Rimpey, Nebraska Farm Bureau Ag Economist, taking a look here at a broad picture of ag exports and their impact, bringing it clear down to the producer level, to the local community level, to the county level, right here on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, on vacation today. But we did see the big sell-off occur with those triple-digit uh, losses in live cattle, feeder cattle, and almost all lean hog contracts. And the focus, again, is on increased overall pressure. They, they held losses and pulled back somewhat, but there was aggressive pressure that developed throughout much of the session. Cattle on the cash side of things, generally quiet. There was a report of about 1,500 heads sold this morning, at only 110 live basis in Nebraska and 178 dressed. Now, if significant trade volume develops around those prices, this week's cash will be significantly lower than the previous week. Too early to make that uh, call, though. Most of the sellers are still holding out for higher prices. The sharply lower futures, plus the possibility of basis opportunities, may explain that little amount of uh, business that occurred. Of course, the box beef trade today saw the choice cutout down 26 cents, select cutouts up $1.16. The front month June lean hog contract, which goes off the board this week, ended up a little bit higher. 
triple-digit losses in all the back months, too. A lot of outside pressure today. Now, that pork carcass cutout was only up $0.13 today to $81.82. So, triple-digit losses today and another volatile day in livestock futures trading. Total cattle slaughter the first four days this week estimated at 468,000, 9,000 less than last week, 5,000 less than a year ago. Hog slaughter at 1,782,000, 7,000 less than last week, but 73,000 more than one year ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. USDH Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney is leading a trade delegation to Japan this week. Good afternoon. I'm Shaylee Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network. In a recent press call that he held, he talked about some of the changes that have come about since his last trip in March. Well, I wouldn't say I noticed much. Uh, to remind folks why I was here in March, uh, we were here for the very, very large FoodEx food show which is certainly the largest in Japan, and I would say the largest in this particular part of the world. And that was very enlightening, and we were here supporting a lot of our businesses, our commodity groups, livestock, poultry, etc. And I did meet with the government then, and I would say they wanted then for us to join TPP, and, uh, you know, I, I expressed the administration's wishes that the preference is for a, uh, a bilateral, but I would not say the tone, the demeanor has changed. In fact, I, I would walk away, as did my colleagues in the State Departments of Ag, saying it was rather warm. There was even some humor at times, which is the way I like it. What the, what, one of the things, we, you know, we, what we were talking about was advancements in each country's desire to bring different products either way. So it was not a setup at all to discuss whether we rejoin TPP or not, or whether we do a bilateral. That happened to come up. It was mostly us thanking them for some progress on some things. For example, MHLW has made some great progress on some MRLs, maximum residue levels for various products. Uh, We updated on uh, biotechnology and gene editing, which is of interest to them. And I shared with them where the U.S is and has been because some changes have been made, notably announcements from uh, USDA. So it was more uh, transactional in that regard than it was large negotiations because those, as you know, are left primarily to USTR and the president. And so that's what we focused on. Ag leaders from several states joined him on this trip as well, and he talked about their experience. They felt comfortable in coming to Japan, notwithstanding some of the temporary disagreements we have, but because they have seen and experienced firsthand through others that Japan is a very steady and reliable market. And so I would say in that, in that sense, they, uh, they're, uh, they're uh, optimistic. In terms of what they're thinking about other things, I'll I'll add to them the talks I have with many, many, many different commodity and ag groups. Do they wish there were not tariffs? Absolutely. But right on the heels, every one of them, I have yet to talk to any institution that has not experienced some of the nefarious actions of the Chinese. And I'm, I'm pivoting deliberately to the Chinese, not Japanese. And most maybe even all, I can't remember remember anyone saying, we gotta stop this, this is ridiculous. Rather, what they're saying is, look, it's probably time we fix some of these things because non-tariff trade barriers 
unfair trade actions have been going on for too long. Now, they hope we can get it resolved quickly, and I am of that very same view. But I must say, I have not heard anyone say that this is wrong-headed, this is the wrong thing to do. Rather, they're saying, uh, at least for a period, we are supportive of the president's actions. And I think that's very important to note. It's USDA Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney from Japan. Find more on his trade mission by visiting RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We had a general risk-off day is what they call it in the grain markets today. Well, along with livestock. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Overall, in this picture that we had today, we ended up closing on the lows. And for a while, I thought there would, might not be that case. But uh, nevertheless, we sold off at the end again. Yeah, I mean, December's only, we're, what now, $0.08, cents, $0.05 cents off contract lows. So feels like we're going to run down there and test it. Trend is in place, new low. Uh, tomorrow is expected that we we will put tariffs on China, and you know at that point I don't know if there's some buy the rumor sell the fast type of type of trade out there. I certainly I, I wouldn't try to catch the falling knife here. Although you know if you haven't bought calls yet and you're still looking to to ensure some upside, I think this is a fantastic time to do it. Uh, you know again it reminds me a lot of a year ago where we sold off into the end of the the delivery period, which kind of kicks into gear the week after next. So we might have another week of this. I like to hope not, but given that beans have fallen almost a buck in the last 15 trading sessions, uh, you know, certainly could could see it. Um, in, the, in the meantime, I just tell people, like, don't panic. It's, there's nothing, there's no reason to go out and flush corn at this point. I think you just, just kind of play by ear here and, uh, you know, look to set prices above the market. You could easily see this thing running back up, testing $4 on the, on the September, you know, July front month contract, and, you know, I'd even see 410 as high in December. And again, I think you're going to see conditions that can continue to fall here uh, as we we get into the midsummer, and then it'll be about yield gases, which it usually is. So, uh, based off balance sheets, I think we're too low. Deferred contracts look fantastic here, four dollars for December 19. That should see above that level at some point here in the next year. So, uh, you know, maybe start there if you're looking to buy. July soybeans are at their lowest level in about nine or ten months. So overall, again, there's uh, opportunities to buy these dips, isn't there? Well, yeah, but I, I will say I would have told you that a week ago. You know, so at this point, every day you're not buying is every day you're winning. I, I would caution people to chasing this with puts or putting on additional risk protection measures. Is I just don't feel that there's a lot of opportunity to make any money in that because volatility costs are so high. So I think you ride it out, see how it deals up down at uh, 380 and move on. We still wait for some more harvest reports, too, for hard red winter wheat futures to make a move one way or the other. Yeah, and wheat feels like it's just started here. So uh, I think we're going to cruise through $5 on the Chicago side and maybe you go down to five four seventy. We're seeing Casey win again against K- with Chicago, which tells me you're seeing risk coming out of the board. Uh, and again, this is just a risk-off, sell everything, get me out of the market type of trade. Right. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to the website, danielsagmarketing.com.